0: As Easter gets closer and closer, we're just a few weeks away from Easter, I thought this would be a great series to kind of go through in the month of April as we have this week, next week, and then the following week is Easter, so we won't have it, and then we'll have one week at the end of April. And so what this series is, is for those that know what this stands for, it's not an animal, we're not talking about a goat, But there should be, I should have probably put a period in between each of these. But what this stands for is greatest of all time. Greatest for greatest of all time. And so there's probably all of us have debates in all these different categories. So we could say who we think the greatest of all time is when it comes to music, who we think the greatest of all time is when it comes to sports, we think who's the greatest of all time when it comes to video games or YouTube or whatever you want to say. We probably all have these discussions in different categories one discussion i hear a lot of is the greatest of all time when it comes to lebron james and michael jordan it's what i always hear all the time in sports okay who's better is michael jordan better is lebron james better and so i'm not here to draw any conclusions but i thought i would just put up some stats from their career and also just stats solely from the finals okay so you look at kind of their career stats michael jordan averaged more points than lebron james does you know, I'm not going to read through every one. Um, I think another big one, you look down, field goal percentage. LeBron well, James averages a higher field goal percentage, which means he makes 50% of the shots he takes. Michael Jordan only makes 49.7%. I think one of the big ones for me, you see this is the final stats, 6-0 and in the finals, 4-6 and in the finals. Okay? So you can go back and forth, and I can show you all the stats, and, and, and that's what they're all debating in the sports, sports world right now, especially when it comes to basketball. Is who is the greatest of all time? You probably hear in the football realm, um, Tom Brady is, is the go. He, he, he wins all these Super Bowls. He's played an amazing career. He's at the top of his game. And, and these are the discussions we're having when it comes to all these different categories. But I think what's very interesting about this word and what this word stands for is that if there is going to be a greatest of all time, there can only be one. The word itself gives us the definition that there can be only one goat. The greatest of all time. Doesn't mean there's 20 greatest of all time. The word itself is saying there can only be one. And so what I want to lead you to is that I believe that the greatest of all time is God. God is the greatest of all time. And and what I want to walk through, hopefully, is just a couple qualities that make Him the GOAT. That make Him be the greatest of all time. And just unpacking that, that I don't have to make a case for God. Because He just is. But I'm going to show you with just a couple different qualities why I feel Why scripture points to him as the greatest of all time. And so, for the next few moments, I want to unpack this idea that the goat is loving. The greatest of all time is loving. I think this is the best place to start when you're looking at the greatest of all time. And there's an amazing story that shows why his love, because you could talk about something like love, and you could say, well, I I love my wife. Does that make me the greatest of all time? Well, maybe in some respects, but. Not necessarily, but I think it's the way he navigates love, the way he is love, the way he expresses love that makes him the greatest of all time. And so there's a, there's a story that probably many of us have read before, and I'm going to speed through it because I think the whole story um, is good to understand, but it's so in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. If you're not familiar with the story, um, here it is. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, "I want to share. I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die." So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About, excuse me, the, the time his money, about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed his pigs. The boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, Even the hired men have enough food to spare, and I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, or still a distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. I think what you have to understand, and I didn't put this up here, but if you look at the beginning of chapter 15 in Luke, this is the scene that's being painted. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. So you look at the scene that's being painted here as Jesus is coming and all these basically sinners, all the rough people you would say, if we contextualize this maybe into our world today, all the drug addicts, all the alcoholics, all the prostitutes, they came and they listened to Jesus because there was something about Jesus that he exuded this love, this care for people that they felt comfortable enough to come to him. And as these sinners, the people that need Jesus, like like he says earlier, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick that need a doctor. As all these people, the way it should be playing out, come to Jesus, the religious people, the church people, are upset about it. The church people have the opposite of what the greatest of all time has, and that's not love. They're not loving people. The Pharisees gather and they're like, wait, wait, why are you hanging out with such evil, despicable, horrific people? Why are you friends with a tax collector? They cheat us out all the time on our money. And so Jesus then launches into three different stories, this being the third story out of those, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And as he's telling this story... I think there's some amazing qualities of his love that we see. But if, but if you're like, I'm kind of lost. Here's the nutshell of what what basically happened. The son comes to the father. The father's still alive. Okay. And, and in many translations, in the way that that this is seen in the um, in their times, is that when he went to ask for his father's estate. What he's basically telling his father is, I wish you were dead, because when you got an inheritance, when you got what you wanted um, from what your parents had left, it was when they died that you actually got that inheritance. Okay, so this son is basically coming to his father. I don't know what the relationship is like. Jesus doesn't give us a backstory, but he says, hey, I pretty much wish you were dead because I want my inheritance in the estate that I am supposed to inherit now. So his father maybe with discussion, I don't know, but basically from what we see, gives him the inheritance with no discussion. The the son goes off and he spends all the money. He wants to go party. He wants to go do his thing. Once he realizes that I can't just party all the time and not have this continuous flow of cash, I actually have to do something, he runs out of money. And at the time he runs out of money, there's this big famine where there's no food, there's no water. It's just a huge spot that's a tough spot to be in. And so he somehow persuades this farmer that, hey, I don't know if there's much I can do, but at least let me feed your pigs. At least let me do something that, that's, that's going to give me purpose. And so he goes and he feeds the pig. And can you imagine this? Okay, he, he's feeding the pig slop. And he looks at this. I don't know what you could imagine. I mean, I guess garbage, whatever. And he's looking at this, and he's that hungry that what he's looking at is appetizing to him. That's how low of a point he is in. And he goes, man, I'm just thinking about the people back home, the servants my father has. They have a better life than me. And so he says, I'm going to go home. And so he goes home to his father, and he's rehearsing his speech the whole way home. Father, man, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you. I don't even deserve to be called your son. Nope, don't like that. i got to change the tone a little bit. Father, he's running through this the whole time as he's going home. And as he's a long way off, as he's a long way off, can you imagine this? I can't imagine this in my own life yet, but I imagine my dad as I, I ran from Jesus for about eight years of my life. This father is probably day in and day out standing at the front window just wondering is today the day my son will come home? Maybe he's got a cup of coffee with him. I don't know. He's standing there, and he's going, is today the day my son will finally return? Nope, today's not the day. Okay, well, I'm going to go do my work throughout the day, come back tonight. Maybe he'll come home tonight. And just sitting there, desperately desiring for his son to come home. And can you imagine the day that he wakes up, and he stands at the window again, and he looks out real quick, and he says, whoa, that looks like somebody. He gets ready to turn around, and nope, nope, somebody's there. And he kind of looks closer, and he's like, that's my son. My son's here, and he runs out as he's a long way off, embraces him with love. That wasn't something Jewish men did. They didn't run, and especially shouldn't have run to a son that turned his back on his father. But what this story then symbolizes is this relationship that our father has with us. And I think the first thing that I see when it comes to his love is that even when we don't deserve it, His love still comes to us. It's unconditional. There's nothing we have to do to earn it. There's nothing that we have to do to deserve it. But what God has is an unconditional love that goes after us even when we don't deserve it. The Father had every right to turn His back on His Son. He had every right to say, you don't deserve my love anymore. You know what? Yeah, you should be a hired servant instead of my son because of what you've chosen to do and how you've hurt this family. He could have said any of that. But yet when he's a long way off, he's filled with love and compassion. He sees his son and he goes, wow, I can't believe he's back home. I just love him so much. And he runs out there and embraces him even when he didn't deserve it. There's a lot of times there may be people in our own lives that hurt us, that turn their back on us, and and probably the last thing we want to do is love. But that's what makes God so great, is that He has a love that's unconditional, a love that goes after you even when you don't deserve it. We deserve punishment. We deserve nothing from God. Yet he pours it out to us each and every moment, no matter what we do. And so we see a love like that that's unconditional, a love we don't deserve. And on top of all this, I think what's very interesting is that his love pursues us. His love pursues us. He doesn't wait for us. To just magically come to Him or magically have our hearts changed, yet His love comes after us. That's this whole picture of the Father running out, pursuing His Son as He's a long way off. To show Him that love because He wants Him to make sure He knows how loved He is. That I'm not going to wait for you. I'm going to go after you. I mean, it's the whole picture of the Gospel. We separated from God because of what we chose to do. What Adam and Eve chose to do at the beginning of time is make up their decision to to choose what's right and wrong. And so they turn their back on God. There's now this separation, and God says we have to fix this. God could have said, well, you chose to do that. It's your fault now. Everybody for the rest of time is going to hell because you guys chose sin. But no, God from that moment said we have to work on something to bring this relationship back to what it should be, and he sends his son. He's proactive in his love and sends his son to die on a cross for everybody that would want to be in a relationship and know him, and there's going to be a lot of people that don't care. But he still died for them, because he has a love that says each and every person means something to me. And I want to go after them even before they think about coming after me. And I think what's so amazing about this story is that God shows us He doesn't care where you've been. He cares about where you're going. You see, He could have gone through all of the different things that His Son was doing. When well, you were out there spending all the money and you were partying and you were... You were uh, sleeping around, and you were doing all these things that brought bad reputation to yourself and to our family. But no, he doesn't bring any of that up. He instantly starts looking at where he is going to go. Let's party. Let's celebrate. You've been back home. The past is behind us. Leave it behind us. And they celebrate. And he has a party. And he says, my son has come back. And he's come from death to life. So sometimes I think we can get hung up on our past and God God sees. I don't don't want you to think, well, God, God just forgets. I mean, He sees when you sin. He knows your past. But He cares about where you're going. And He has a love that loves you unconditionally and no matter what you do. You can go home today and do something totally against what God's called you to do. And guess what? He still loves you. You can be in a spot right now where you're just really struggling, whether it's with you know anxiety, depression, maybe it's with um, getting your work done for school, maybe it's getting things in order in your life for a relationship. I don't know what it is. And you can just be in a low spot and want nothing to do with God. Guess what? He still loves you. His love pursues you. His love is there for you. His love is always going to be there for you because our God is the greatest of all time because he has a love that we can't even describe. He pursues you. Makes me think about um, just a few weeks ago. We don't have this happen too often, but the second time at this house that it's happened. A few weeks ago, I'm on the phone um, with my cousin talking about something, um, and all of a sudden I look up, and our, little, our dog, Koda, is in the backyard, I'm watching him, and I just see him, like he's never done this before. Because we have a fence that's probably um, on me about up to here. And so he'll jump, and he'll kind of look over, but he's never has like been able to just jump straight over the fence. And so I see all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eyes, I'm barely paying attention, I'm on the phone, and I just see this dog launch straight over the fence right into the cemetery because our house butts up against the uh, cemetery in the back, and he it straight over and just runs straight to the cemetery. I don't know what he saw. I don't know what he was going after. And so I run inside, and I'm always upset, and I get angry. And so Shannon's like, what's going on? I said, he just bolted the fence. Like, he, he didn't even hesitate. It was like, boom, straight over, and I've never seen that happen. So I could have easily at that moment just said, I'm done. I'm not looking for him. I'm not doing anything. I'm not even gonna, you know, post anything, whatever. I'm just gonna let it go. He doesn't deserve it. He has a beautiful home here. He's got a nice, fenced-in backyard. He has somebody that treats him like a baby, um, but he's loved. And so he wants to choose to go outside of this great place that he has, then let him. What did I do? I got in my car. Tried to drive all the way around through the cemetery to see if I could see him in there. Couldn't find him. Told Shannon once I got home, hey, can you post him on Facebook and then start doing some things to see if anybody sees him? And then luckily, only about an hour or two later, um, somebody trapped him in his backyard or in their backyard and we got him. And I could have also easily brought him home, locked him in a room and said, just think about what you've done. But there's something in me that when I see my dog that I have a love for him. And so I don't just turn my back on him. Even though he doesn't deserve my love, I still give him love. Even though he chooses to turn his back and run away from home, I'm still there for him. This is the kind of love that our father has. It's like us trying to run away. We see something that looks so appetizing, so good. This is going to be so fulfilling. So we launch over the fence and we start running after it, and then we get outside the walls of our relationship with Jesus, where it should be, and we start to go, well, I don't, I don't know how to get back home. I don't know where I'm at. And I deserve to have my back turned on. But God still comes after us, looks for us, finds us, and brings us back into this relationship. Here's what you need to know as we kind of close things up. You are never going to be loved by anybody else more than God. God has the deepest love for you, and you'll never find anybody that has a deeper love. Hopefully most of you have parents or some type of parent figure in your life that shows you deep love, and I hate to tell you, but God has a deeper love for you. His love is so deep that even when he looks at you, he's just in awe of who you are. Wow, I can't believe, can't believe you're mine. Maybe you're not in the relationship. He still looks at you with love and goes, wow, you're incredible. And I think sometimes we we don't believe that. Because we've had experiences in our lives where people have turned our back on us when we ran. We've had experiences in our lives when we started to struggle, nobody was there to love us. And so now we're supposed to just magically accept that we're loved by God and a love that I can't even describe for you. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I hear a lot of pastors talk about this, so love that it's a love so deep, so unexplainable, so unconditional That we can't wrap our heads around it. God loves you. God will go after you with His love. God will continue day in and day out pursuing you with love even when you don't deserve it. Because that's who God is. God is love. 1 John 4 talks about He is love. What love is, that's God. He can't not be love because He is love. And so we have... The GOAT, the greatest of all time, that's a loving machine and can never be outloved. One of the best things you can do is soak in the love of God. You can look at your relationship and do you see somebody that has an overflowing love for you? And it's so good. Like I said, I I don't have to make a case for God being the goat. But I hope even just through this story, you see a love that pursues you. A love that is unconditional. A love that doesn't turn his back on you, no matter what you're going through. And that a love that cares more about where you're going than where you've been. When you start to understand that kind of a love, the relationship with God is incredible. It doesn't mean you just freely go out and start sinning and doing all these bad things because God's going to love me no matter what. But it's a reassurance to know that there's a love that cannot be broken that God has for you. And when He looks at you, it's when you look at something that you're just so in awe of. Maybe think of like a sunset. Or you're standing up on the mountains. I don't know what you look at. That, that makes you just amazed. Usually something in creation, you just look at it and you're like, wow. You just don't even have words. That's what God thinks of you. You may have been told in this life that you're not loved. You may have people turn your back on you. But I'm here to tell you, you have a God that loves you more than anything. And that should just be so comforting and assuring to us. And so I close with kind of my version, I guess you want to say, where I think of this love played out. So obviously many of you know um, we have a daughter. She's nine and a half months old. Um, But I can remember the night... um, when she was getting ready the next morning she was supposed to get induced so her due date she was supposed to have the baby on this date wasn't happening so they said okay we'll give it a little bit of time see if the baby comes it's not coming so they scheduled a time that they were just going to induce her so she could have the baby so i can remember the night um that all this was going to happen you know i've never had a child before i don't know how this whole process works and so um i'm like okay she's starting to have Um, some pain, and so I'm thinking, okay, we're going to have to go to the hospital, and I was hoping we would just go to the hospital before I went to bed, because I'm not a very good person when you wake me up. Like, I can wake up early, I can be up on a dime, but when you wake me up, like in the middle of the night, I get a little cranky, and so I'm like, okay, let's just hope maybe she has to go to the hospital before I go to sleep, and so she goes to sleep, and she's still feeling some pain, and then I get this little, like, hit on me at about two in the morning, Two in the morning, she hits me and she says, "I don't know, but I think I'm I'm gonna have the baby." What what should we do? Should we go to the hospital? I said I don't know. That's probably the greatest answer to give it to him. I don't know if we should go. I said maybe you should call them and see what they say. So she calls them and she says, "Well, I think they said we should just go in." So we go in and we go through this whole process. I'm gonna spare you the details. We go through this whole process. Twenty almost twenty four hours later, we get there at about two thirty in the morning and at eleven fifty eight. And I said she had to, to have the baby before it would hit midnight because I filled out the birth certificate and I wasn't filling another one out for another day. So 1158, Willow is born. And I I, I know you probably hear people talk about this. You may even hear your parents talk about this. But I'm telling you when, you, when you just see your child born, you look at that and there's a love that you can't explain. I mean, my daughter was just born and there's nothing she could do to deserve my love. There's nothing that that she could even prove to me that she deserves my love. It's just the love that overflows for her as I look at her. And that's how God looks at you. He looks at you and he goes, wow, you're my child. I love you. You don't have to do anything. You just have to accept my love and love who I am. You want to talk about the goat, the greatest of all time. God is the goat. There's many reasons, but for this reason, because of his love that he has for you. The goat is loving.